Welcome to the Emergency Mind Podcast. I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is a space where we train ourselves to think and perform better during times of crisis. ER doctors or not, we all face emergencies in our lives, and this podcast is all about getting better at acting during times of uncertainty at stress and learning how to apply knowledge under pressure. So listen up, train hard, and enjoy, because you never know what's coming your way next. To learn more about building your emergency mind and to dig deeper into many of the concepts we get into in this podcast series, head over to our website at emergencymind.com. My guest this episode is Dr. Emily Rose. Emily is a board-certified emergency physician with fellowship training in pediatric emergency medicine. In addition to being a truly excellent clinician on both the adult and pediatric sides of the emergency medicine world, Emily is a wonderful educator. She directs both the pre-health undergraduate studies and the minor in healthcare studies at the Keck School of Medicine of the University of Southern California, and is routinely invited to speak at the national level on her expertise in pediatric emergency medicine. Aside from all of that, Emily is just truly an amazing human being. Our conversation in this episode is really far-reaching. We cover a lot of topics, things like personal development and the myth of perfection, the importance of daily habits in course correcting and tuning your own course, uh, and of course, decision-making under pressure. As always on this podcast, our mission is to dive into applying knowledge under pressure, not to provide specific medical advice. Additionally, our opinions are our own and not those of our respective employers. All that said, let's get to the episode. I hope you enjoy. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking with me. It is awesome to get to talk with you about this in a formal manner um, as opposed to our normal sort of off-the-cuff work right. talks about Absolutely. this Absolutely. Kind of That's it. Well, it's a pleasure and an honor. Thanks for having me. Totally. Um, I'm hoping we can start sort of back at the beginning. So mm. when you first were getting into medicine, how did you first start thinking about thinking about thinking, thinking about applying hmm. knowledge under pressure. And, and maybe that question is about why did you become an emergency doctor? Hmm. And maybe it's about when did you first start thinking about emergencies? That's a great question. And I don't know that I can answer you totally when I really started thinking about it. Uh, I'll tell you that I, when I started medical school, the one specialty I was not going to do was emergency medicine. Um, and then I ended up late into my fourth year finding emergency medicine and falling in love with it. Uh, but I, there was a lot of reasons why I didn't think I would be good for emergency medicine because I can't figure out what to order from a menu when I go to a restaurant. I still can't. It takes me forever to make decisions um, for things like that. But I also thought that I, wasn't, I wouldn't be really good under pressure, under stress um, in those situations. And probably like the biggest telling moment was when our house, literally, we were talking about being uh, dealing with fire earlier. I was in medical school my second year, and my apartment building was literally on fire. Uh, and it was, it was pretty funny um, the, uh, how things kind of unfolded. Both my husband and I have a gift that we are pretty calm under pressure, uh, but he's very purposeful. So I was actually studying for my endocrine test. I was in the bathtub and I had flashcards and I was like studying and I had a test the next morning and I had a plan of all these things that I was going to accomplish before I got out of the bathtub. And there was smoke that started flooding through our vent. 
And I saw that, you know, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. And my husband saw it and he's like, wait a minute, you know, and so he went and investigated. He went next door and felt the door. It was hot. He proceeded to call 911 and knock on every single door in the entire apartment building and let everybody know. Meanwhile, I was still in the bathtub studying my flashcards because I was like, okay, I've got time. And our literally our entire apartment building was filled with smoke at that point. And I was like, well, I just have to grab, I got to make sure to grab my wedding ring, my viola and my Bible. And that's all I need. And I have time to get it. Like, I don't see the flames yet. I'll, I'll get it. You know, I was very pig headed. And, and my husband came back. And he's like, you're stupid. Like, <laughs> like get out of the bathtub, get dressed and get outside. And I, like, well, I, I have three more flashcards, you know, it was my, my thing. And I tend to, I, uh, so on one hand I was really calm, but on the other hand, I just was like, not I, inertia is powerful for me. Um, so I, I really thought I'm like, gosh, if I, if I'm not stupid and not like acting in an emergency like how can I be an emergency physician uh mm. so that's backstory and and, and, and you know I we re- retell that story about how different we were and um every, my husband tells that story and to laugh at me all the time um uh, but my his cousin uh, said to me he's like she said to me she's like you know actually if I'm dying I, I want somebody that's not freaking out to take care of me. I was like, oh, maybe there is some a skill to be honed. Um, so like you talked about, like the uh, being calm. Okay, I can. I'm pretty naturally good at that. But actually, uh, moving to action—that's the part of training that I need to work on. Sort of my weakness per se. Hmm. So anyway, that's a that was a totally long story and did not answer your question. <laughs> no, no, that's that's really interesting. There's yeah. a there's a lot to jump into yeah. for that. And yeah. I, I think it's interesting to explore the idea of there being multiple ways to respond to a crisis mm-hmm. and multiple ways mm-hmm. to think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, you know, you said at the beginning that you didn't think you would go into emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. What was your first exposure to emergency medicine, if you remember that? Like, like what made you think you weren't going to go into that? I think I had a lot of um, just ideas about what it was. And it was mostly... Um, I wanted the continuity of care with patients. I wanted the relationship. I was sort of touchy-feely. I was thought I was maybe going to do oncology because I wanted to sort of walk with a patient through the struggle. Uh, and I, it, medical school, my medical school required an emergency medicine rotation, and my husband was doing his PhD out in Los Angeles, and I had to do a rotation. So I was like, oh, LA County, uh, that'll be fun. Um, and so I rotated November of my fourth year at LA County, and I realized... Uh, well, first of all, like the people that were the residents there were amazing. They were so smart. They were so talented um, and they really had fun with what they were doing. Uh, and I, I felt like home. These people are a little bit crazy, a little bit wild, like they're willing to dive in, um, but and super good at what they do and hardworking, but they also have fun and they don't take themselves too seriously. I was like, I can really relate to these kind of people. I love them. Um, but I also felt like as a medical student, I was making such a difference in people's lives every day. And my misconception about what emergency medicine was, I felt like, oh, I wasn't going to establish relationships with people. Um, And I realized very quickly that uh, you are, it's, it's not quantity of time with people, but it's very quality. Those people, nobody wakes up expecting to go to them to the emergency department uh, that day. And except for us. Yeah, right? except yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, you're dealing with people in crisis in time where they feel very vulnerable. Um, and I just really loved the opportunity. It was a sacred honor to be a part of that process and to make that horrible day a little bit better, to do something, just go the extra mile, to find their family member for them, to get them a glass of water, um, to hold their hand during a procedure, even when I wasn't yet 
skilled emergency provider, I was like, wow, I make a difference every single day. And it was so interesting and exciting and different. And I, I loved it. And, and I can't believe I ever considered another specialty. It's perfect mm. for me. It was efficient use of my time, too. Um, I loved that uh, when I'm at work, I work really hard. But then when I'm done, I'm done. And it has some inherent work-life balance. Um, that, that was really important for me, too. Yeah, absolutely. And and thankfully, you're, you're very correct that you don't have to be able to order from a menu uh, to be a functioning emergency <laughs> yeah. doctor. Those are often different skills. And then sets. I get order envy. I'm like, I shouldn't have gotten the salad. I, that sandwich looks really good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But but somewhere in there, you must have switched gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you must have realized that that even if it's not something that comes supernaturally to me, mm-hmm. that decision-making under time constraint, decision-making mm-hmm. under pressure when it really matters is a skill that I'm choosing to be yeah. good at and that I'm trying and to you're, step up. And we're trained for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know exactly what to do. Like uh, that That's what I realized quite quickly. I was so insecure about my ability um, to make decisions or to act or to do all these things, but well, gosh, that, that's why I trained at LA County is like I wanted to be, you know, have the skills beaten into me. I wanted to, to um, be stretched and grown and I wanted the best training possible. Hmm. Um, and how do you think that works? How, how do you think it works for people to be put under pressure and to develop a skill of thinking like that? Hmm. And, and there's a couple ways we could take that, mm-hmm. right? Because now part of your role is that you guide um you guide what is the medical minor program at USC, mm-hmm. right? You help people as they're on their journey to starting their medical careers. Mm-hmm. So you spend a lot of time teaching mm-hmm. both them and the residents. You could talk about how you teach people or how you were taught, but mm-hmm. either way, how does it work to be taught to think under pressure? Mm. I think, well, first of all, talking about it is the first step and being aware uh, of just oh wow I have I have these thoughts and these are helpful thoughts and these are negative uh, um, unhelpful thoughts and I think having not even so much under pressure but I think really um, over the years I realized how much what I tell myself or the story I'm telling myself about the situation makes such a difference in my happiness my ability to handle circumstances my ability to uh, be mindful and be present and be grateful. Uh, I, I think there, there's a lot of just intentionality about our thoughts and our decisions and our perspective. And it does take, it takes some training. Hmm. Can you, when you look back, can you think of a particular uh, drill or a particular sort of experience that was really pivotal for you and sort of coming hmm. into your own ability to do that? Hmm. Not necessarily a particular um uh, drill because I, I, I mean I think it all sort of gradually I've learned deeper and my eyes have been opened um, I think probably a very pivotal sort of period of time when I realized about the importance of my my perception mindset was when I read the book The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker which is a book I highly highly mm-hmm. recommend and I have my undergrads uh, I recommend it as well um, for one of my classes that book really changed uh, how I thought about, um, I guess, my perspective, my ability um, to change or control circumstances around me or lack of ability and how a lot of times I let things that I couldn't control have power over me. And I realized like that really having having an attitude of appreciation and 
gratitude and focusing on what I can change and what I can control and really sort of running my own race and not comparing myself uh, with other people and sort of having some introspection and realizing what, okay, what are my strengths? What do I bring to the table? And what are my weaknesses? And the fact that I can really get better, any one of us can get better at things if we work at it, if we, uh, you know, the concept of neuroplasticity, that it's, I'm not one set uh, of gifts or abilities, but I can really grow in any area should I just commit the time and energy to. Um, so knowing my strengths, maximizing my strengths, and then maximizing or growing um, through my struggle. Hmm. And also having the attitude that, wow, like struggle is part of life. I'm never going to get it right. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be my ideal self. But in those moments, I can actually take those difficult struggles and learn about them, learn to get better, and tell other people about it so they can learn from my mistakes as well. Just kind of changing my attitude about struggle or failure um, was really, I think, is something that I've been growing a lot, but I, it all started, I, I believe, when I was reading that book. Hmm. That's interesting, that, yeah. that idea that there's a, you know, the sort of myth that you're ever going to get everything perfectly right. Right. That there's going to be some day you're going to wake up and then you're going to yep. be the pinnacle of being an ER doctor or a you know, brother or sister, whatever it is sure. that, that that doesn't exist. Yep. Um, we fail, fall short of our of our ideal self every day, for sure. Yeah, the, the counterpoint to that, I think, mm. is the sort of Japanese aesthetic of wabi-sabi, right? The idea that, like, nothing is perfect, nothing is permanent, mm -hmm. and nothing is finished. Mm -hmm. And if we sort of approach it from that, the idea that we're on this path, mm -hmm. and that we're becoming and changing, and that that's the actual space we want to be in. Mm. We don't want to be a crystallized thing, sure. right? If we're a crystallized sure. ER doctor, we're very quickly an obsolete and useless right? ER doctor. Yeah, yeah. And it's only that's those of us that keep, uh, keep evolving that keep being relevant. Mm. Um, I want to go back for a second, and I've heard you say this in a number of occasions, this idea of running your own race. What, what does that mean to you, and, and why is that something that you keep coming back to? Mm. I think um, especially probably is uh, as a female, I think it's harder for, um, uh, I think it's in general a it's more of a female tendency to just not feel enough, not feel like quite that I belong in this arena of emergency medicine. Like I'm not quite, I don't have that big per confident persona and, um, you know, d calling out orders. I just didn't see myself in that role. Um, and I think that, um, it takes me a while to realize that I do have very distinct and important gifts and strengths that are very effective in my job, um, in teaching and all of these things. Um, and to realize that, um, to, to identify those. Um, and I guess the concept of one, run your own race sort of comes as a backstory. My father-in-law is a minister and he's very pastoral. And he actually uh, sat down, he had a very um, li sort of life-changing uh, conversation with me. He sat, when I started medical school, he kind of sat me down. He said, you know, you're gonna be surrounded by extremely smart, extremely talented people that are gonna be very good at, at what they do but you really shouldn't look to your right, look to your left. What you need to do is just focus on showing up and quality, um, you know, doing your best, doing the best that you can with what you have. Uh, every day, keep showing up and, and don't look to your right or left, 
but do the best that you can and you're going to get exactly where you're supposed to be. Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy um, and that's so true I, and, and I see this over and over again in our medical students and our residents. So many people compare themselves to other people. Oh, wow, that person is really good at running that resuscitation with authority or this person um, can generate this amazing differential or thinks about, you know, uh, um, or is a really good bedside teacher and we tend to look at everybody else's greatest strength and compare ourselves and think, oh gosh, we're, we can never actually um, measure up. And um, that is pretty harmful. And I think that negative self-talk of, uh, well, I'm not, I, I can never measure up. Uh, we, we tend to compare our greatest weaknesses with other people's strengths. And I think that only, all that does is limit our ability to be our best selves or to, to function the best. Hmm. And when you mash that, I first off, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's a really important thing to think through is sort of what what is our own goal and what mission mm -hmm. are we on? And when you mash that up with what you were talking about a moment ago, the idea of sort of the myth of perfection and the myth of a finished product, mm -hmm. you know, how do you still train yourself today, right? Because you're still running your race and you're still not a mm -hmm. finished product, right. which I... Before this, yeah. I might have said no offense, but actually, I, I, <laughs> I think that's probably a compliment, yeah. which is that you're not yeah. a finished product. Yeah. Um, Hallelujah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So uh, what are you working on for yourself mm. today in that regard? Mm. Yeah, I think that's it's really important to be intentional about where we're going every single day. Um, and I don't always do this perfectly, <clears throat> but, you know, my, my husband and I have our, we, we have weekly discussions on Sunday where we talk about, okay, what's going on with our kids? Um, what, what do we need to work on? What do we need to kind of push one of them, you know, um, to, to work on their character, all, all of these things or, or uh, et cetera. I have that personally. Um, I also like, what do I need to work on? Um, what have I been sort of lagging? What do I need to kind of step it up on? And also professionally, there's so many different aspects. And I think it, first of all, I have to sort of reflect on, uh, okay, what are, what am I good at and maximizing that? I think probably maximizing our strength helps us to be most effective. Um, but then also, okay, well, how can I make this even more effective, effective and be, um, be intentional about it? And it's kind of funny. I, I was thinking about this the other day and after receiving years of great, uh, um, you know, really helpful evaluations of my teaching by residents there's you know and seeing like different themes uh, there was one thing that I was like okay I'm gonna really try to work on giving uh, very targeted specific feedback to residents and I'm gonna make sure you know to take the time I said what I'm good at I'm really good at knowing uh, my residents and knowing their personal lives and knowing about their families you know I'm like I'm really gonna just make sure I spend a lot of time um, talking about their them personally and their development and then I'm gonna I'll take the extra step I'm gonna be very good about you know teaching them and but also giving them specific feedback to help them maximize you know be the most effective and there were, I had one shift where I kind of reminded myself I'm like okay I'm gonna do this and this and this and this and I was super proud of myself because I tried really hard to be engaged and, and push myself and, and you know sometimes uh, feedback is a little bit more challenging uh, for me because I don't like to be I don't like conflict I don't you know I want to be con encouraging um, but I'm it's also like trying to make my the resident most effective most effective so I had a a few great conversations. I was pretty proud of myself. I pushed myself. I stretched myself. And I realized as I got in the car that day that although I had made these great strides and all of these things, we had actually had a patient 
that um, it's long story short, I had had a conversation with the patient and we were worried about a little bit of uh, neglect and maybe even abuse at home. And I had this long conversation um, that I told the social worker and our resident about, um, but I had neglected to document that in the chart. So even though I had made all these great strides um, and done accomplished so many things that day, I, you know, I didn't do something that I would routinely normally do. It's funny. Like I just had to laugh at myself. I'm like, well, you can't, you know, perfection is always this transient, this thing that's out in front of you that you never completely have. Yeah, there, there's definitely the idea that, that we're all working towards something, yeah. that there's yeah. never, never one of us you never have is, it all together. Uh, yeah. is completely cooked, thankfully. <laughs> Gives all the rest of us a little hope yeah. as we keep moving forward. Um, I'm wondering if we can go back in time for a minute. And you talked about sort of the version of you, the Emily that had started into medicine. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering if the Emily now has any advice for the Emily then, hmm. in terms specifically of sort of what we're talking about here, the ideas of how to function under stress. Um, what would you go back and tell yourself? Hmm. I think, well, there's so many things that I wish I would have done differently or ha- or had different perspective. And I think I really, I wish I would have more so realized my strengths and realized that I had a lot more ability, a lot more courage, a lot more, um, a lot more to say than I allowed myself. Um, and I think the, uh, my process of training has been sort of a series of awakening and realize, wow, I have so much more power than I realize. I can do so much more. I have so much more of an impact, um, than I realized. And I think more than anything, I wish I would have found found that voice, found that strength earlier on one hand. But on the other hand, I'm also very thankful for all of the struggle and all of the insecurities I've had because I think that has made me um, retain a sense of humility um, and definitely had a lot more empathy and relatability for other people that have had similar struggles. And, and so I think you can't change <laughs> change things in the past. Um, but I really I, I appreciate that. But I wish I would have... Um, found found my voice, found my strength, found my uh, unique, I guess, my the unique strengths that I had even sooner. Mm. And, and let's push on that just a little bit. When, when you say find your strength in your voice, mm-hmm. maybe for somebody that's listening that is starting their medical career or even somebody farther along who's starting their residency, what does that mean to find your voice and your strength? How would you know when you found it? Mm. What would you be looking for? I think... Every person is unique and everybody has this unique set of skills and abilities and life experiences, but also everybody has similar or similarly, maybe even tied to their greatest strength as their greatest weakness. Um, And I think we, it takes us a while to find exactly what we're good at. And one way that you know what you're good at is something that is comes easy for you and it's human nature to kind of assume that everybody's good at x y or z you know um and there are a lot of skills that uh, you know things that i do that were are, seem very easy and i can kind of just whip it out and i didn't it took me a long time to realize like wow not everybody can do that not everyone can multitask like this not everybody can be really really efficient with with tasks and just uh, get things done and meet deadlines or you know what um whatever the gift is um, it took me a while to realize that that was actually a unique skill set of mm-hmm. mine. And um, also, interestingly, a lot of 
things that I am good at, I had no idea I would be good at until I just tried. There's a lot of things that I was like, oh, I have no idea how to do that, but I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to try it. Um, and there were some things that I was like, yeah, no, thank you. That's not really for me. Um, there's other things that I'm like, wow, this is fun. And I really just got you know into it. I could like f- jive with it and flow and, and be productive. Um, so I think part of it is identifying what comes easy to you, but also trying new things and growing and stretching. And I sort of, I've had that attitude in my academic career. I'm like, I only said yes to things if it would uh, teach me something, give me a skill, or if it was something I'd never tried before and I just wanted to, to see if it was something that I would be interested in doing more of. Um, and that has sort of made me have sort of a weird sort of academic career, but it's also opened my eyes to different opportunities and skills, and I had no clue. Uh, if you would have told me 15 years ago what I'm doing today, I would have never believed you. I would have never thought I could do the things that I'm doing, which is, that's something. That's awesome. <laughs> it's that's that's yeah. more than something, yeah. right? I think that yeah. that's, that's what I hope I can say that every set of 15 or whatever mm-hmm. years to say, yeah, I'm doing things now that I never would have suspected would have been possible, which, right. is, which is wonderful. Th- that spirit of experimentation, of finding your stride through sort of trying things out and seeing what feels right, mm-hmm. is that the same sort of skills you use in the resuscitation room when you're running a case? Or at that point, do you have other more sort of algorithmic thinking that you employ? I think uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, people talk all the time. I talk to a lot of people that aren't in medicine yet or thinking about medicine. And it's interesting, the questions that people ask, the things that they think are the hardest part about being an emergency physician are very, you know, different. You know, I, I often, um, you know, people assume that, gosh, the hardest part about emergency medicine is that crazy resuscitation um, where the person is dying and it, it's it's really not that's not the hardest part like we have an algorithm we know exactly what to do you do step a and then you do step b and if you know step a doesn't totally work then you go back and you do this and this and this we have uh, you know particularly in trauma it's exceedingly it's very algorithmic and you you know exactly what to do. There's not much actual intellectual thinking. Um, So a lot of resuscitation in particular, that is algorithmic. Um, But there are every single day we encounter things that we, you know, you just don't read about in the textbook. Um, You know, uh, just the the case that popped in my mind right as I was saying that is we had a patient who stuck his testicle, both testicles and his penis in a tiny little water bottle um, and waited three days to come uh, be seen. It was a metal bottle. And, you know, you think about that. uh, We've had variants of that, but we've never had that situation. You don't, it's not in the textbook, right? So you have to creatively think about these things. It is certainly not in the textbook, (laughs) yes. Yeah. And what kind of textbooks uh, we have. Um, stuff like that happens all the time where you're like, okay, um, I can take this knowledge. I know what to do in this scenario. And then we can do, and you just have to be a creative problem solver. Um, and that's one of the things I love about emergency medicine, hmm. actually, is like just taking this knowledge base and and then trying to think outside the box and taking, you know, uh, um, other so- similar types of solutions. Uh, solutions that we found in similar situations and just tried things. And was that something that you think you were always good at, that idea of mapping one knowledge set onto a different problem? Or is that something that you developed and trained over time? I think a little bit of both. I mean, I think having 
Uh, I didn't realize that I was pretty good at solving a problem or coming up with solutions. I did not think that was a gift of mine. But looking back, I've had other people, and this has been the story of my life too, I've always, other people have identified my strengths much better than I have. And people think I uh, recommend me for a job and I think, oh gosh, I could never do that. And then I actually get there, I'm like, oh, okay, like I get it, this is this is me, um, which is a separate story. That's like my own baggage, I think. Um, but I think solving problems and thinking outside the box is something that's really fun for me. That's like a creative outlet but a lot of it is training. And you train, uh, the longer you practice, the more patients you see, the more weird things that you have to solve, and then you take that knowledge and you build upon it and build upon it. Hmm. And what's your advice then to people that are uh, just starting out who don't have that library of experiences to have gone through when they find themselves in a really unfamiliar situation? How do you, what's your advice to Hmm. them as they're trying to figure out their next moves? Right, Um, I think, that the most important skill in life is to reach out to other people. Um, I think and realize uh, realize the resources. Don't try to go it alone is probably the most important thing. I mean, that's why we have graduated responsibility in training. Um, but that's something particularly even after I graduated. So I did four years of emergency medicine residency at County, and then I did two years of pediatric emergency fellowship. Um, so that was after four years of medical school. So 10 years of training, um, and I still, there was so much I didn't know after I graduated. And I did not hesitate to phone home. I called, uh, I would often just run cases by my colleagues just to say, okay, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Does this sound okay? Is there anything else um, that you would add just to get feedback? Um, sometimes if I didn't have an answer, I'd call. Um, I'd call one of my former attendings or colleagues um, to get more information. Or I would call um, you know, somebody that had a lot of experience. I, I think that's really, really important. Important um, as you're building your toolbox, uh, you know, utilize other people. I think to have the humility um, to just say, "Hey, I don't entirely know what to do," and every conversation you have, like, add that to your toolbox. Okay, I know how to deal with this, and I know um, this this solution. You can you can learn so much from other people's experience. So if you don't have the experience yourself, you got to lean in and and use the experience of other people is the short answer. Yeah, no, I can I can think off the top of my head of several cases you and I have run side by side or we have mm-hmm. bounced ideas off each other. Shifting gears slightly, your advice, what would your advice be to somebody who's not at all in the medical field? We mm-hmm. have a lot of folks that listen to this that are more in the jujitsu or surfing mm-hmm. sort of worlds, but that also think a lot about applying their knowledge under pressure. So even outside of medicine, do you have any advice for them about how you've learned to apply knowledge under pressure or how they could get better at it? I think preparation uh, um, is so important. Uh, it's it's an interesting concept to think about um, how when people do something really heroic, or conversely, when some somebody does something that they kind of get in trouble with, um, it's not just that moment in time that uh, they are you know defined by, um, but really it's sort of a, a, a symbol or statement of, of a whole series of decisions and choices and habits they've developed over time. Um, and you know the more I read about or hear about, particularly, of course, I'm much more interested in people that have shown tremendous heroism or, or courage. Um, everybody says about that person, well, that I, I'm not surprised because that's the kind of person they were. They were very intentional about um, being a courageous person, a selfless person, a kind person, a 
doing things for the greater good kind of person. Um, I think in having those daily habits and making those daily choices uh, to think about, okay, what kind of person am I going to be today? What kind of person do I want to be? And, and how am I going to change my habits or what I do today? Because this is where I'm going. And finding, uh, um, being intentional about your trajectory is extremely important. I have no idea if I answered your question. No, absolutely. <laughs> so, and you mentioned earlier that, that you and your your partner go through these weekly sort of check-ins mm-hmm. where you adjust your goals and sort of move from there. Do you have a version of that that you use either in the middle of a case or between cases, something that's a little more tighter focused than that? Mm. Um, or is this a thing that you mostly do uh, with sort of a set periodicity behind it once a week? I, I'll say that because I think that idea that mm. daily habits uh, relate very strongly to the ultimate outcomes in emergencies mm-hmm. is very true, mm-hmm. that the training we put in now ahead of time matters greatly to our ability to mm-hmm. perform. Mm-hmm. But how do you tune that? How do you keep checking in that mm. you're doing the right habits and that you're mm. doing the right things? That's a great question. I think that's... Um I think that comes down to feedback uh, because the truth is, is that all of us have incredible blind spots. There are things that we are royally screwing up and the only way that we will ever see them is asking somebody else. And it's probably most important to ask somebody else that's an expert in that area um, and really um, refining our actions and behavior based on that feedback really changing i think that's the most important way because you can do something for 10,000 hours but you will but if you're doing it the wrong way you're not an expert you know you have to have constantly that feedback, um, some objective measure, and it's usually other people observing you or trialing. You have to change. Uh, you can't do just do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, that's not how you become an expert. How you really efficiently become better is seeking feedback from other people. I think that's very, very important. And that's... Uh, uh, something that my wonderful husband, I've been married 20 years this this May, um, he takes his job very seriously. He says his job, he thinks the job of a spouse is to make you more tolerable to the rest of the world. And he takes his job very seriously. So <laughs> he doesn't let me get away with anything, but it's, it's good. It's good. He's uh, constantly, uh, you know, refining my trajectory, I say. He's, he makes me a much better person, hmm. which is great. What a, what a wonderful way to describe yeah. <laughs> a relationship that you refine each other's trajectories yeah, through life. That's definitely absolutely. something to aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have other groups of people outside of that that you consistently check mm. back in with to refine your trajectory? Mm. Um, this book I go back to a lot, Thinking in Bets by the poker player mm. Annie Duke, um, talks a great deal about the idea of forming intentional study communities around hmm. the task mm-hmm. where you can leverage off of each other's experience to get better at something. Interesting. I think we informally often talk to each other as colleagues about that. Um, that's part of why I've been so excited to bring you on to this because I really respect and enjoy your opinion about this kind of stuff. But outside of that, do you have other people that you constantly refine your trajectory hmm. with? That's a, that's a great question. Um, so professionally sort of you know i'm at, um 
and and now that we're talking about that, I'm like, gosh, I really should have. I, I would love I would love that even more to be intentional about it. I have my uh, girlfriends that I uh, graduated from residency with. We get together for lunch or dinner every other month, um, but it's more of a just like bonding vent session. Um, but I, I do have I, um, my husband and I have a group from our church that we get together every other week. Um, really, we all have kids. We all are, um, you know, various struggles, and we really talk a lot about um, our own struggles, trying to be the best that people that we can be, as also and also parents. So we are very intentional about um, having that support group, um, and that's been tremendously helpful, um, just on a personal level. Hmm. but not professional. That, that doesn't necessarily help me be a better ER doc. I guess it does. It's all related. Yeah. It is. It is. I think it's interesting as we're exploring this that, you know, when we're going through residency, we have this built-in feedback loop, which is that not only are the attendings we're directly working with, evaluating with us, but we have the program directors, the assistant program directors, mm-hmm. the people that are, whose job it is to help us, um, I guess, to help us refine our own trajectory mm-hmm. as we're learning how to handle the pressure and how to perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we sort of stop. Mm-hmm. And unless we make the extended effort to continue to seek that out, it's not naturally there as part of what we do. Certainly, mm-hmm. we have continuing medical education. Right. Right. But that's more fact-based than it mm-hmm. is sort of procedural sure. and, and process-based. Um, but personalized feedback um, would be so much more effective and efficient of our you know, even knowledge base or practice or interaction, you know, all of, all of those things. Yeah, and yeah. even if it's not direct f- feedback mm-hmm. as much as it is that process of, I, I just, I love that, I, I love that saying of refining your trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that you're sort of tuning your instrument mm-hmm. as you keep getting closer to, mm-hmm. to where you want to be. But maybe bringing it back a little bit, right? Like a violin, or you said you play viola, right? Viola. Okay. Well, I so, don't anymore. Medical school happened. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I never did, so we're about even on that. But but it's, it strikes me from what I understand that being in tune is a state in time, and mm-hmm. it's never a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. You never mm-hmm. tune a viola such that it is always in tune. Right. Right. In fact, it is the constant tuning and retuning mm-hmm. that allows you to play the note with the right musical insert word here that I don't know <laughs> right you're right musical yeah, whatever it yeah. is my metaphor breaks down a little bit there but, but the idea is that you're not trying to solve the problem mm-hmm. any more than we're trying to solve mm-hmm. our trajectory mm-hmm. it's a matter of constant tuning mm-hmm. and that you're either an attentive you know you're an attentive gardener or you're not mm-hmm. an attentive gardener right mm-hmm. you're, you're somebody who's tuning their own instrument or you're not mm-hmm. um, but that that's maybe one of the magical ingredients for sort of developing the ability to perform under pressure is that is that stepping up and saying, mm-hmm. this is mine, I will continue to tune mm-hmm. this instrument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and being, I, I think just even speaking it, being aware of it and, and uh, is a, a huge step, just being mindful of that, that we're constantly growing, we're constantly refining, we're constantly need to receive that feedback and change based on it, respond to our circumstances. Right. And I think also to project that to the people that we are training, mm-hmm. to say we are not complete. We are mm-hmm. tuning our instrument just as you are tuning mm-hmm. yours. Mm-hmm. We might be working on a different part of the instrument or song. Mm-hmm. Or Again, I really don't have the sure. musical terms to keep sure. this metaphor going. But, <laughs> but we might be working on a different part of ourselves than you right. are. But we are all still working on this together. Right. And that collectively we'll be a stronger unit if we all believe that we are in process of getting right. better. Right. I think that's important. Um, to have in relationships, um, 
that sense of commonality, but also that sense of trust that I want the best for you. Um, and any any feedback, any uh, um, I, negative or positive is is basically our goal is to to get the best of us um, and and to be the best. To, to we have a, we have commonality in our external goal. I think that's really important to remember. Um, and also to communicate with one another. Hmm. Emily, that is awesome. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm going to summarize a little bit of what we okay. talked about and then see if there's anything else you want to throw in at the end here. But um, we covered a ton of stuff. We talked about multiple types of decision-making under pressure uh, and about, more importantly, how thinking under pressure is a skill that you can train, not sort of an innate ability. We talked about the myth of perfection and that a stable, crystallized state is not what we're going for, that instead what we're really doing is working towards a goal over time. Along that line, we talked about the importance of running your own race, about identifying and playing to your strengths, uh, and about constantly tuning your trajectory in terms of are you moving in a direction that is where you want to go, and if not, how are you going to course correct? Um, and then we talked a little bit about the idea of, of daily habits and their link to outcomes and how the decisions you make before an event are so important for the decisions that happen during the event. Um, ultimately, it seems like the theme that really wraps this all together uh, is the idea of growth and learning and decision-making being a constant and never-ending sort of wave of progress right. that you have to be intentional about. Is there anything else as we're drawing to the close of this that you want to throw out there? Any sort of parting pearls of wisdom for folks? Oh, so many things. Um, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and actually, sorry, one other thing we've been doing lately. Is there any challenges you want to give people? Oh, uh, well, I think it's really important um, to realize, I, I think something radical for me, a, a concept for me, is to um, realize that Life is going to be a struggle. I tend, I, I went through a period of time where I'm like, oh man, I worked so hard on X, Y, or Z, and it's still like this. I'm still having a hard time with conflict resolution, or I'm still having a hard time, you know, ex doing this or that, um, even though I've worked so hard on it. And and to realize that just struggle is part of life, like accepting that reality that it's it's this is an imperfect world, and you're surrounded by imperfect people who are also not their always their ideal self. So. So just accepting the reality that struggle happens, but more than accepting the reality that struggle happens, uh, sort of rejoicing in it um, and having gratitude for the struggle because, you know, just like I tell my daughter when we're, on, uh, when we're hiking and she's crying because her legs hurt, I'm like, that means they're getting stronger. You know, I'm just saying it's, it's when it's hard for you, that's actually when you are growing, you're learning something new. Um, when you're faced with a challenge, uh, you don't, you don't grow when things are easy or soft um, or stagnant, um, but it's really in the struggle to kind of embrace those opportunities and experiences and change your mindset about it. Just, you know, I'm, I'm getting stronger in this situation. You can't, um, you can't wait until everything's all together to enjoy life. We can't dissect the good from the bad. Um, there's hard things about every stage in life. There's hard things about training. There's hard things about um, not 
be training anymore, not being under anybody. Um, there's hard things about stages of parenting. Um, we always talk about, um, my husband and I always reminded ourselves, like, and when it, having twin babies was really, really, really hard, but we're like, gosh, we cannot, we've got to enjoy this and we can't just muscle through it. You have to enjoy the good um, with the bad and realize everything is temporary. Every relationship um, changes, every you know situation you're today, there's no uh, gonna be another moment like you're in right now and enjoying the process as much as you can. Well, from from one very imperfect person to another, <laughs> thank you for sharing yeah. this moment with me. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. It's a total honor. It was and a, a moment. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emergency Mind podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, but more importantly, I hope you found something in there that you can use next time you find yourself in the middle of an emergency. To learn more about what we talked about in this episode and about building your emergency mind in general, head over to our website at emergencymind.com.